1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. Did Canada perpetrate genocide? We'll delve into the controversy over the use of that word to describe the violence against missing and murdered Indigenous women. And... Can medical science eradicate Alzheimer's disease by preventing it? Ahead of Idea City, I'll talk to a researcher who has spent her career working on the science behind that. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A new study suggests inconsistent sleep habits can be as harmful to your health as not sleeping enough. Lack of sleep has been shown to lead to increased risks of obesity, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and other metabolic disorders. This research found the same risks in people who didn't get the same amount of sleep each night. And it showed that every one hour difference in sleep time can be harmful. It's published in the journal Diabetes Care. Baby boomers are among the fastest-growing group of people feeling stressed out. A poll by the American Psychiatric Association found a seven-point jump in anxiety levels among boomers over the past two years. The most prevalent disorder is generalized anxiety, a pervasive sense of worry. Experts say proven stress busters include exercise, meditation, and breathing exercises. The Royal Canadian Mint has a strong tradition of commemorating our veterans as part of of our goal to capture uh, Canadian values, uh, moments and in history on our coins. That's Alex Reeve with the Royal Canadian Mint where a new $2 coin was unveiled to honor Canadian veterans who landed in Normandy 75 years ago. The first coin was handed out to 99-year-old Alphonse Vautour, who was among the soldiers who stormed the beach in Normandy on June 6, 1944. Margaret Atwood will tour Canada this fall, including a stop in Toronto, to promote the Handmaid's Tale sequel called The Testaments. It's set 15 years after the events of the first book. The tour includes nine stops and a special screening of the September 10th premiere of The Testaments at more than hundred theaters. The 79-year-old won the 1985 Governor General's Literary Award for Fiction for The Handmaid's Tale. It's since been adapted several times, including into the current Emmy Award-winning TV show. Washington has become the first US state to allow human remains to be turned into compost rather than being buried or cremated. Governor Jay Inslee signed into law a bill making it legal for licensed facilities to offer natural organic reduction, which turns a body mixed with substances such as wood, chips, and straw into soil in a span of just several weeks. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The report of the inquiry into missing and murdered indigenous women was released earlier this week and the most startling conclusion was that the violence against these women amounts to a genocide. The prime minister was heckled when at first he refrained from using the word. This report, these truths, difficult, challenging, and uncomfortable. This is an uncomfortable day for
0: Canada, but it is an essential day.
1: Within 24 hours, he said he accepted the finding. Many others do not. And the use of this term has caused more debate than the actual recommendations. I reached renowned human rights lawyer and former Justice Minister Erwin Kotler in Montreal. What did you think when you saw the finding of genocide?
2: The specific issue of missing and murdered indigenous women does not in and of itself, in my view, uh, constitute a a genocide. They have, in the report, located it in a historical perspective of a colonial genocide which they distinguish from the classic genocide in international law. To sum it up, uh, I would still say the following. One has to be very careful. In using a term um, like genocide, which is, uh, as I've often said, the crime of crimes whose name we should even shudder to mention, and one has to have, you know, compelling evidence, particularly with regard to the issue of uh, specific intent to uh, bring about a genocide. Uh, the killing of a people, a whole own part, and other definitions in the uh, Genocide Convention uh, Treaty. At the same time, I think it would be fair to say uh, that uh, widespread and systematic violations of human rights as an instrument of state policy, and I think that one could attribute to the uh, indigenous uh, experience here in Canada, could constitute crimes against humanity, which would have been a term uh, that I think would have been more representative and reflective. One of the things I'm concerned about is that we get into a debate about legal definitions, linguistic definitions, and we might lose sight, number one, of the compelling evidence that the report does provide in its witness testimony.
1: But we've already already done that. The... Finding the use of the word genocide has drawn much more debate than the actual recommendations.
2: If it were t- to lead to you know, the moral urgency of now doing uh, what must be done to address and redress uh, the situation, uh, then one can say, okay, it achieved that purpose, albeit in a way that uh, uh, may not have been uh, reflective of what in fact happened. Uh, 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 At this point, I think we do have to focus on the specific recommendations, get away from the linguistic debate.
1: There are legal ramifications. Canada could face international censure. We have the Organization of American States writing to the Foreign Affairs Minister to, quote, clarify accusations and denunciations of genocide in your country.
2: I take the OAS uh, suggestion as a good-faith response to a report where the term genocide has been used, but it, it is going to be otherwise prejudicially harmful um, in our role on the international human rights stage, where countries like China, etc., uh, will be uh, indicting Canada for genocide at the same time that, uh, you know, they have a million Uyghurs in concentration camps and the like. So I hope it will not prejudice our role internationally in the promotion and protection of human rights and the holding of major human rights violators who are engaged in state-sanctioned crimes against humanity to account.
1: But it will do that, I mean, inevitably, I think, no?
2: I think it will have that prejudicial follow Now, one can't say that because it will be harmful to Canada's reputation, one should not tell the truth. But I do believe that the truth has gotten confused here
1: Does political correctness have any role in all of this?
2: It shouldn't have any role. uh, One way or the other, we shouldn't seek to be politically correct in uh, affirming a uh, violation that is constitutive of genocide, and we shouldn't be uh, politically correct in avoiding such a definition if, in fact, uh, the evidence would warrant that definition.
1: So uh, what's the bottom line on this?
2: All this is sparking, as I said, a linguistic and, and legal debate, both deflecting us away from uh, appreciating uh, the, there is sufficient horror in what uh, has happened to the indigenous peoples to focus on that without being in a linguistic debate. And more importantly, we have to focus on what has to be done.
1: Erwin Kotler, thank you so much.
2: Good speaking with you.
1: That was human rights lawyer and former Justice Minister Erwin Cotler. Called tsunami and a rising tide. That's the prediction for the burden of Alzheimer's disease as the baby boom generation ages. Dr. Carmela Abraham has been researching Alzheimer's for nearly 40 years. While the focus of much of the work has been on the amyloid plaques believed to cause the disease, Dr. Abraham is taking a different approach—one that may someday prevent Alzheimer's. I spoke with her ahead of her talk at Idea City
3: what we see in the microscope in brains of Alzheimer's disease patients, post-mortem, of course, is plaques and tangles. So our first project, this was uh, together with Dr. Denis Selko, um, was to try to purify, to isolate the proteins that are found in plaques and tangles to understand how they are formed uh, in the hope that they will give us a hint towards some treatments. So it took, you know, 39 years until today. We know what's in the proteins, and there, are, um, there were many um, clinical trials and billions of dollars spent to try to get rid of these proteins that are toxic. But so far, uh, unfortunately, there is no success so we we've we've come a very long way because now we understand a lot about these proteins. We learn a lot. There are thousands of people who study them. In any case, trying to uh, get rid of them from the brains of people who are already afflicted with Alzheimer's disease and already have symptoms,
1: it is too late. Why would you say that Alzheimer's is so difficult to crack? Okay.
3: Because Alzheimer is not one disease. Because Alzheimer, um, people who get Alzheimer's disease, it's a combination of many genes.
1: So you're taking a different approach, looking at a protein that protects against Alzheimer's instead of the ones that seem to cause it.
3: The protein that we study, it is called Clotho, K-L-O-T-H-O named after a Greek goddess who spins the thread of life. It was discovered by mistake in a mouse that um, aged very rapidly and died prematurely. And it was obvious that when mice that make a lot of Cloto were produced, that they live longer and they are healthier, that this is a protective gene that also uh, prolongs lifespan. We found that, indeed, Clotho is protective to all of the cells in the brains that we studied. Then we also did experiments in, in mice, and it was also protective in mice. And what was the most interesting, the, um, Clotho was protective in the presence of lots of amyloid.
1: Where are you at with this? In mice, this is in the lab. A lot of Clotho yes. has improved outcomes.
3: Correct. So we did experiments that we published in animal models of Alzheimer's disease, in animal models of uh, multiple sclerosis. Now we have a paper that hopefully will be accepted very soon in an animal model of ALS. So these are, of course, results in mice. Not everything that works in mice works in people.
1: So uh, at this point, it's good news if you're a mouse. (laughs) Yes. What is the path and the timeline to see if this okay. is actually going to be a solution for people?
3: Yes, yeah, so we are trying four or six different uh, ways uh, to increase the expression. And we, first of all, we will try in mice to see if it works. And we have to try in animal models of disease to see if it works, the, the particular drug that we try. And then we have to apply for IND and to get FDA approval to, to try to go to humans. We hope in two, three years we'll be there.
1: Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, thank you. That was Dr. Carmela Abraham. She will speak at Idea City on Friday, June 21st. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide.
0: You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer, Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, Faz Kazi, and Justin Ecock.